0: Wonderful. Well, welcome everybody to Bible Study tonight. Thanks for coming out. It's, it's getting more and more difficult to uh, leave the backyard when it's 29 degrees and sunny. But you know what? It's important. And uh, I'm so grateful that you made the effort to come out tonight. There is really no better way to spend our time than in fellowship with one another around the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to continue to do tonight. We're going to study our way through the book of Acts. Because we want to relive it, and indeed we are reliving it, especially uh, tonight. And I know I've said that for most of the chapters, but when you read chapter 18 and study chapter 18, you're going to see a lot of similarities uh, with our own day and age and our own culture. And so I really look forward to sharing that with you. So let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we have tonight to gather around the open pages of your written word. Holy Spirit, we've already asked, but we ask again now uh, so that we can all be in agreement that you would be present to lead and guide us into all truth tonight. May the words I speak be yours and not mine. May we hear the soft sandaled, soft sound of sandaled feet, Jesus himself walking among us and ministering to us tonight. And we pray it in his name. Amen. All right, before we start reading from the Bible, let's read the opening summary paragraph on our handout. Uh, Acts chapter 18 continues to recount Paul's second missionary journey. After preaching at Mars Hill, Paul leaves the city of Athens and he travels to the city of Corinth. And you can uh, call or think of Corinth as Sin City. Uh, Corinth was the Sodom and Gomorrah or the Nineveh of its day, and uh, Corinth is something like the Las Vegas of our day, uh, a city known for sin and licentiousness. So Paul leaves Athens and travels to Corinth. It goes from bad to worse for Paul. But in the city of Corinth, he meets uh, a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. They're a Jewish couple who'd been kicked out of the city of Rome uh, for their um, for their proselytizing for their uh, Christian beliefs. Paul stays with them, and he works with them as a tent maker for a week, and at the end of that week, he preaches on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. Uh, Silas and Timothy, who left Paul the chapter before, now meet up with Paul in the city of Corinth. Paul testifies to the Jews in Corinth that Jesus is the Christ, but get this, they oppose him. And they oppose him by holding his past against him. But in response to this accusation, Paul declares that he is actually innocent of the blood of the Jews. Those Christians that he killed, Paul says that he's actually innocent of their blood. That's how magnificent and full the restoration of Jesus is. That all our past sins... And all of our mistakes, as bad as Saul of Tarsus's mistakes were, Paul says that now because he is a new creation, he's actually innocent. There's no blood on his hands because he has been regenerated. Um, After that, Paul turns his attention to the Gentiles. He's not having much luck with these Jews. And, of course, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, and we're seeing here now in Acts 17 and 18 that he's getting more and more um, influence and an opportunity to preach to Gentiles. Uh, Paul has a vision after preaching, telling him to continue to boldly speak the word of truth in the city of Corinth, and as a result, Paul stays in the city for a year and a half, teaching the word of God, and he establishes the Corinthian church, And then Paul eventually leaves Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla, and they sail to Syria. So that's the chapter in a nutshell. Now let's go verse by verse through this powerful book, this incredible book. So verses 1 to 3, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. Now, one thing I'll point out, um, Dr. Luke goes back to talking about Paul and his his acts. Uh, A few chapters earlier... Uh, Dr. Luke, the author of the book, was saying things like, we did this, and we went here, and we went there, because Dr. Luke was actually with Paul in some of those chapters, and now Paul has gone on and left his uh, esteemed physician behind, and so now Paul is uh, on his way, and Luke is probably back practicing medicine. They're going to reunite again, because Paul has this Thing called a thorn in the flesh, this ailment of some sort, where he's going to to see Dr. Luke again and again. And in fact, Luke will visit Paul in prison as well. But I digress. Just wanted to point that out that he's now talking uh, about Paul. I don't know in, in what person there, grammatically, the third person, the first person, but he's not with him any longer. So he's recounting what happened. And when he went to see them, Aquila and Priscilla, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla, who had escaped from an anti-Semitic campaign in Rome, uh, they, these were Christian people, and they were also Jewish people, and so they were double persecuted in Rome, and so they left Rome and settled in Corinth as tent makers. Paul was also a tent maker by trade, and he stayed with them. And it's possible that Aquila and Priscilla were some of uh, the first converts in Corinth, or they were definitely some of the founding members of the church in Corinth. Uh, we're not too sure if they were uh, converted before or if they were converted at Paul's preaching. Just a little side note here, and it's in smaller letters. It's taken from uh, my study Bible, just describing the kind of city that Corinth was. So let's read that together. Carnal Corinth, uh, or Sin City, was the sin center of the Roman Empire in Paul's day. It was labeled Vanity Fair. Its location was about 40 miles west of Athens, which was known as the religious center of the Roman Empire. So Paul preaches in the religious center of the Roman Empire, and then he travels to the sin center of the empire. That's why I said it goes from bad to worse for Paul in his preaching and ministry. Corinth was a great commercial center of the Roman Empire with three major harbors. It was inland, but it had... um, Rivers that uh, met in it. And so it was a great commercial center for shipping and for trade. And also in the city of Corinth was the Temple of Epaphrodite. Uh, and it was built on the Acro- Acro-Corinth, which is the fortified portion of the city of Corinth. Uh, and whatever was built in the the, um, the Acro of a Greek city or a Roman city. You've heard of the Acropolis. Whatever was built in that section of the city was its most important and protected uh, buildings and things of that nature. And so this, this temple to Epaphrodite was built in this protected area. So the worship of Epaphrodite, or you may also... Uh, n- or she also goes by the name Ishtar, um, was built there and it was attended by a thousand priestesses who were priestesses of vice. Actually, they were nothing more than prostitutes um, in this temple. So it was basically a big brothel uh, and it was in the center of the city. So prostitution was at the core of the Corinthian economy and a lot of these prostitutes actually got saved. Paul addresses all of that in 1 uh, Corinthians. That's why he's talking a lot about head coverings in uh, the book of Corinthians because these prostitutes who had shaved heads were coming in and the people in the church were wondering if they were still prostituting. So Paul said, cover your head and um, you know, leave that old life behind. Grow your hair out and, and leave that life of prostitution behind. You're, you're a new creation now. Uh, one other thing, or a couple other things. The city of Corinth was given over to licentiousness and pleasure. Uh, the the, Ishth, the Ishthmean Games were also conducted there. Now, we know about the Olympic Games, but there was four different types of competition in the uh, Roman world. And uh, one of those competitions, the Ishthmean Games, they were held in the city of Corinth. And uh, they were uh, very prominent and, in fact, when Paul uses the analogy of fighting the good fight and running the race, and nobody trains to run a race, uh, but that they, they run with everything they have, uh, he's using some of that imagery that he would have seen here in the city of Corinth to, to make those truth claims. And then finally, against this corrupt background, Paul was preaching the gospel in Corinth. Not only did he preach the gospel, but he founded the church in Corinth, and he wrote two epistles to the church in that city. I always call the Corinthian church the messed-up church, and you can now see why. I mean, uh, it was a very carnal city, a very difficult city in which to be a Christian, I can imagine, uh, with all that temptation, with all that licentiousness and vice all around you. In fact, I'm reminded of some of the scenes that I've both read and seen in the book, Pilgrim's Progress, and in a a movie depicting it, uh, where it's just pleasure all around. And and, uh, uh, Pilgrim and and his companion are having to pass through Vanity Fair to get to the Celestial City. And so many other Christians that walked through Vanity Fair were tempted and led away from their journey to the Celestial City. Uh, but they were not. They, they made their way through. One had to give his life to get through. Uh, but if you haven't read that book or seen that movie, I highly recommend it. Uh, and there's some correlation there between this, the city of Vanity Fair and Pilgrim's Progress and the city of Corinth, just the sin center of the Roman Empire. And so that's where Paul's now making tents and selling them, and he's preaching the gospel and, and planting churches. Verse 4, I think we already read verse 4. Let's go to verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ, the Messiah, was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your heads for I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So they didn't believe him, and uh, they accused him. They opposed him. They reviled him. That word "reviled" means um, to uh, to accuse and to falsely accuse and to slander and to speak hateful things against. So not only did they oppose his message, but they opposed him and they reviled him. Uh, It's believed that they held his past against him. They said, weren't you that guy that was killing Christians, uh, killing people who said that uh, the Messiah was Jesus Christ? Now you're here preaching him to us? Um, What right do you have to say anything to us? And so Paul uh, shakes out his garments and he says to them, listen, I'm innocent of their blood and your blood. Let it be on your own heads uh, because I I am innocent. I've preached to you. And now you must do with it what you will. And he says, From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So, just a reminder his practice leading up to this was to go into a city, find the synagogue, preach in the synagogue, and use that as a springboard to get into the marketplace. And now he's going to leave that uh, habit behind and he's just going to go straight to the Gentiles from here on out. Verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius. Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Pretty amazing. Paul has got a pretty effective preaching ministry going on here in Sin City. The city of Corinth It says that many of the Corinthians... Upon hearing, his word believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Don't be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's stop here for a moment and just talk about something that's going on uh, in the in the news today or over the last couple of days, I I forget his first name now because I'm not a Jays fan, but you may have heard the news about the Blue Jays pitcher whose last name is Bass, who uh, what's his name Anthony Bass. He he spoke out against uh, Bud Light and Target and saying that Christians should not endorse corporations that are. Very obviously promoting uh, the rainbow agenda and a demonic agenda in the case of target if you've seen some of the clothes that they've that they've put out in their uh, spring collection summer collection for children it's just awful uh, th- what was the one t-shirt that was Satan, Satan respects pronouns, Satan respects pronouns. A, a t-shirt for children sold at target Um and so he, he was just very outspoken, actually very well-spoken. I saw the Instagram story. And, uh, of course, he immediately received backlash from all the, the legacy media in Canada. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't, wasn't too long after he issued an apology. And, and to say I was disappointed would be an understatement. I mean, I get it. It's a lot of pressure. But, man, you're, you're going to you're going to speak out, you're going to speak the word of God, you're going to speak truth, you will be opposed. But we have to speak boldly. We cannot be silent. And we cannot be afraid. In fact, the Lord came to Paul and told him those very words. Don't be afraid. Why would he tell him not to be afraid if there wasn't reason to be afraid? Obviously, there was a natural reason to be afraid, a reason to keep silent, a reason to just keep to yourself, you know, keep your sincerely held beliefs to yourself. I'm sure many in the city wanted Paul to do that. They didn't like what he was having to say. But the Lord told him, do not be silent. Why? I am with you. He says, no one will attack you or harm you. Now, he was definitely opposed. He was reviled, but he wasn't physically attacked. He was not going to be harmed because God was going to be with him. And Paul is reminded by the Lord that there are many in this city who are my people. You see, Satan wants us to be divided and alone and in our own corner, thinking we're the only ones standing for truth. But I want to remind us tonight that there are many, many people who are on our side, who are on the Lord's side, who are standing for truth. And so we need to be not afraid. We need to speak and not be silent and know that God is with us. Of course, we should be wise. We should be crafty in our approach. Uh, There are some things that are just going to get us in trouble. But um, that's okay. Okay. Uh, sometimes we just need to to wait for trouble to find us before we speak it, right? Instead of going out looking for it. But if the opportunity arises, we need to speak boldly, just as Paul did. Uh, And so he stayed there. He stayed for a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. That's a long time to stay in one place. One of the longest places he stayed. And so he stayed there for a long time, making tents and preaching the Word of God. Verse 12 uh, but when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Okay, so re- remember, God said they're not going to attack you. And then in the next verse, Paul's getting attacked. Well, remember, there's a year and six months in between. And uh, Paul's going to have to pick up and leave. The Lord's moving him on. And so during his time of ministry in Corinth, he wasn't attacked or harmed. But now this attack against him is going to be the thing that brings him out of the city and brings him back to Antioch. So it's not a contradiction. God didn't lie. There was a year and six months in between his promise that he wouldn't be attacked or harmed and this united attack on Paul By Gallio. So they brought him to a tribunal and they said this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. What law? The law of Rome. The only God to be worshipped in Rome was Caesar. The national religion of of the empire at this time was the Caesar cult. There is no God but Caesar. There is um, no king but Caesar. Caesar is Lord was the creed Of this religion. And so Paul was committing a great crime in their eyes by persuading other people to worship God. Uh, But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have a reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, uh, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge. On these things. Isn't that an amazing turn of events here? These Jews bring Paul up on charges, and they bring him before this uh, proconsul. And the proconsul says, Listen, he hasn't committed any vicious crime. We're talking about words and names here. You deal with it. He says, I refuse to be a judge over such arbitrary things. Verse 16, and he drove them from the tribunal. And so they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat Paul in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So it was Paul's own people a year and a half later that turned on him. They had opposed him before, they had reviled him before, and they waited for a year and a half because the Lord made a promise that he wouldn't be harmed, that he wouldn't be attacked. And so they were held back until it was time for Paul to move on. And with a great beating, he moved on. Uh, What does the note say there? Oh, yeah, Paul begins his public ministry in the synagogue. Silas and Timothy join him. Many believe, including Crispus, yeah, 18 months. He ministers the word. Oh, an insurrection is made against Paul. Uh, but Gallio here is not careless. He just refuses to handle a case that has to do with religious liberty. You see, we're about uh, 20 years now or so after the day of Pentecost. And so this, this movement, this um, following of Jesus, this has kind of spread like a contagion all over the empire. It's not just localized in one place, not just down in Jerusalem, but it went to all Judea and Samaria, and now it's going to the ends of the earth. And word is traveling fast around the empire about these followers of Christ. And uh, they're realizing that no matter how much they persecute these Christians and no matter how much they kill them, they're not going away. And so now we're starting to see the tide shift a little bit, just a little bit, and some of, the, uh, some of the political leaders in the empire are refusing to get involved in things that have to do with religious liberty, and, and we see that here in this passage. And of course, as I said, a lot of what we're reading here in chapter 18 is going on in our own time and in our own day and age and culture. Where some people are starting to realize, starting to wake up, and 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 see um, just how far uh, this can go if we don't put parameters on it, if we don't put one um, of those things, guardrails along this path here that we're all going on together, uh, that it's just going to be complete and utter chaos. And so, uh, Gallio is making a political move here. I'm not. I'm not admonishing his move. I'm just. Uh, Pointing out that he's not careless, but he just doesn't want to get involved in this religious liberty case that these Jews have brought against Paul. Let's read a few more verses, and we'll make a few more comments along the way. Verse 18 After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of his, uh, sorry, took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. So, Paul didn't leave right away. He probably had to nurse his wounds. And so he stuck around for a while till he healed up. He was probably ministered to by Priscilla and Aquila, a godly couple. And they left and went with him. They continued on with him. They set sail for Syria. Man, some of these names, I should have uh, taken some more time to really get my tongue around them. Uh, I'm going to take a guess here and say Centrea. At Centrea, Paul had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And then they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. And uh, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period of time, he declined. But on taking his leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and then he set sail For Ephesus, Paul sails to Antioch, but goes by Ephesus. He takes Priscilla and Aquila with him, as far as Ephesus. And he makes a vow, and he shaves his head. And under grace, this was an exercise of Christian liberty. He had a right to do this, but not an obligation. Now, I'm thinking because of his Nazarite vow, Um, he wasn't supposed to, uh, to cut his hair, but yeah here, let me just read the uh, study note here in chapter eighteen, verse eighteen. It was a Nazarite vow that Paul had taken previously, so I'll read the note. It says, though this phase could or uh, this phrase that he cut his hair could apply could possibly ap- apply to Aquila, it probably applies to Paul. Uh, the Nazarite vow requires rigorous ceremonial purity. Uh, that are impractical in Gentile lands, and so this is now a likely move uh, that Paul makes uh, to exercise religious liberty. The hair is allowed to grow during a period of the vow, and cutting it marks the conclusion of the vow, and is perhaps an expression of gratitude to God. It's the same vow that um, is based on Samson, that he wasn't allowed to uh, cut his hair, and if he did, he would lose his strength, and so... That's kind of what's going on here. It's just a quick mention of it. You think, why on earth did the Holy Spirit inspire Dr. Luke to say that Paul got a haircut? Well, you just got to read a little deeper into it. Paul is now, um, after several years on the mission field, realizing that if he's going to be a Jew to Jews and a Roman to Romans, if he's going to be all things to all people to preach the gospel, some things are going to have to... Uh, go and other things are going to have to come. And one of the things he decided to do here was to cut his hair because he was under a Nazarite vow. And so just pretty interesting here, you know, a verse about a haircut can be uh, something that we can learn from, and that is that uh, Christian liberty is very much, you know, an important part of our everyday lives. Uh, There are some things that are sins of conscience uh, some people, I know my grandmother, you know, she was the last person in her church to take her hat off in Newfoundland. Uh, everyone else took theirs off, but she just couldn't do it. For her to go to church without a hat on was a sin of conscience. Was it a sin? No, but it was against her conscience, so therefore she couldn't do it until the Lord gave her liberty from that. It took a long time. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here in this mention of Paul cutting his hair, There are just certain things that as as followers of Christ, if if it's against our conscience, then we ought not do it. If it causes somebody else to stumble, then we um, should not do it. Uh, But also, we need to understand that there is freedom in Christ. We're not bound by a bunch of rules here. We're bound by the Spirit of God that leads and guides us into truth and to live a life that glorifies God. Okay, uh, let's continue on. And then we'll see if there's any questions or comments at the end. Where are we here? Oh, yeah, verse 22. When he landed at Caesarea, he went and greeted the church there and then went down to Antioch. Uh, remember, Antioch is the epicenter for Gentile, for the Gentile church. It was the first uh, Gentile church, and it was the people in Antioch that that were first called Christians. Verse 23. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, and he strengthened all the disciples. So Paul is concluding his missionary journey here. He goes back to where he started. He goes back to Antioch. He spends some time there. He reports back, I'm sure, what he went through, and then he goes to the region of Galatia and Phrygia And he preaches, he goes on a preaching tour, he preaches and teaches, and he strengthens all the disciples along the way. Now, we are introduced to Apollos, an eloquent preacher. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Uh, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So he had partial knowledge, he knew the scriptures. Uh, he was accurate in his, thing, in his teachings uh, concerning Jesus, but he had only known John's baptism. And so Priscilla and Aquila, who just so happened to be in Ephesus because they traveled with Paul, take him aside and they explain to him the way of God. They explain to him the whole counsel of God, the whole truth. And they wrote to the disciples to welcome him saying that he, you know, basically affirming, okay, he's not a false teacher. Welcome him into uh, your church, for he is an eloquent preacher. He's competent in the scriptures. He has the gift of preaching. He has the gift of teaching. And he's probably very evangelistic. He's probably very charismatic. I mean, the word here in verse 25 says that he is fervent in spirit. So he probably was well-received. They probably loved it when he came to town. Uh, He probably blew in, blew up, and blew out. Like every great evangelist. Uh, and so he was endorsed by Priscilla and Aquila, now having been fully taught the ways of God. Verse 27 And when he wished to cross Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So he's on a missionary journey as well, this Apollos. And and you heard his name, of course, in the book of Corinthians. When they were having disputes in the church about who was baptized by the better preacher. Some were excited that they were baptized by Apollos, and still others were excited that they were baptized by Paul, and Paul has to write them about that and say, guys, you're missing the point. It's not about a man, or it's not about a preacher, it's not about who baptized you, it's about Jesus. But it's interesting, we're, we're meeting this fellow here in the book of Acts, and we can learn more about him in the book of Corinthians, or in the, in the epistles of the Corinthians as well. And so that's the, uh, that's the chapter. It concludes on a really high note that uh, this fellow named Apollos shows up in Ephesus and he powerfully refutes the Jews in public. Interesting, Paul didn't have great success in Corinth or in Ephesus um, with the Jewish people there. He certainly didn't have as much success as Apollos did. Uh, But Paul was apostolic in his ministry. He had a different set of spiritual giftings. He was evangelistic and he was apostolic. He was there to plant churches. He certainly taught the word of God in the synagogues. um, But it took somebody else to come in behind him to powerfully refute the Jews in public, to do something that Paul was not gifted to do. It's hard to imagine that someone like the Apostle Paul was not gifted in one particular area. Now, he certainly had the gift of evangelism and uh, things of that nature, but in comes this fellow by the name of Apollos, who was not an apostle, but he came in with a really specific and strong ministry gift in the, the gift of evangelism, and the gift of teaching, and uh, apologetics, really. And he powerfully refutes these Jews, showing them by the scriptures that the, that the Christ was, in fact, Jesus. And so one thing I've tried to point out along the way is the gifts of the Spirit being in operation. And, of course, we've seen that. We've seen that all along the way. And now we're seeing it in people outside of the 12 apostles that we're so familiar with, or the I guess the 13, including Paul. And uh, as we heard on Sunday morning, at the end of the book of Romans, I mean, there's a big list of prominent people in the church who are using their gifts of the Spirit, particularly apostolic gifts and evangelistic gifts and things of that nature. And so here we see the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And as I've said many times, we're studying this book because we want to relive it. And one of the things we want to relive is not just confronting the spirit of the age and boldly preaching truth, but we also want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and to give opportunity in our church and uh, in our ministry for people to use their gifts and to grow in their gifts, to practice them, to get better at them. And uh, that's what we see happening in the early church. It's not the Apostle Paul show. It's not the Peter show. It's not the Philip show. Uh, But it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is doing His job to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth through willing vessels.